Good morning, everybody. Have a seat. Get comfortable. Spread out. It's fall break. We've got a little bit more room in here this morning. We've got a lot of our family who are traveling. And so get comfortable. Enjoy those who are around you. We are so glad that you are uh, here this morning. We thank you for coming to be with us here at East Brainerd. We are in the middle of a series that is called Good News. It's heaven's response to our world's most urgent needs. And we have kicked it off each week talking about how that there are just a lot of bad news that has been going on in the world. And I know that for, for many weeks I have picked on uh, those of you who are Tennessee fans, right? Uh, but let me tell you, there was good news last night for a quarter and a half. There was good news for a quarter and a half for Tennessee. And some of you, I know, you just cut it off then because you said, I just want to sleep in peace. And I want to be able to dream dreams that are good and healthy, right? And I know you woke up this morning and um, you found out the bad news, right? That uh, the dogs did end up pulling that one out. So, uh, but you know, really, the, the bad news that we need to talk about today is somebody has going to have to do something about Florida because our youth minister is becoming a little bit difficult to deal with. Uh, between videos and Facebook posts, right? Auburn tried yesterday. We gave it our best effort. Uh, so, uh, Georgia, it's up to you guys. Right, coming up in a few weeks, it's going to be it's going to be up to you to see if you can bring balance back to the force a little bit. Uh, but hey, Sean's enjoying it right now as well as as well as he should be. So um, he's all smiles over here on the side, by the way. But look, hey, we've got good news. We've got good news to talk about as followers of Jesus Christ, and this good news truly is the answer to so many issues and so many problems that are going on uh, in our world. Last week we talked about how that the good news is the, the answer to the disunity that oftentimes we see in our society, within our culture, and how that here within the church body, within the kingdom of God, that there should be an example of unity that is an inspiration to all those who are outside the body of Christ, where they, where they see how we live with one another, how that we work with one another, how that we worship with one another. And even though we come from different backgrounds and even though maybe we, have, we are different colors, we are, have different languages, we um, could be just totally different from one another, and yet there is unity that is found in Christ. And so that is the good news. It's something that we need to be sharing. Now understand, today is a topic that no one really likes to talk about. But I want us to have a conversation about it anyway. Because from the Apostle Paul's perspective, the good news even touches this topic. You know, I was living in Alabama when NASCAR driver Dale Earnhardt was killed in a crash at uh, Daytona. And the next day in Birmingham, there were uh, all types of uh, media that were covering the, the, um, the death of Earnhardt. And one of his fans had been interviewed. And here's what the fan said. And it was on the, it was on the news. I saw it. And, I, and the fan said, Earnhardt's not dead. He's just a lap ahead. I thought, well, that's interesting. Well, what an interesting way to think about death. People don't die, they just buy the farm, they kick the bucket, they push up daisies. They don't die, they just go a lap ahead. Man, that just makes death sound so much better. It's so much easier to think about because we don't like to talk about death. 
We don't like to talk about the idea. We don't use the word that often because it just feels so final. It feels so complete. And it's like we're doing our best to avoid ever having the conversation. And so today we're going to be looking at the final moments of a Christian life. And we're going to look at Paul and how that he knows that his death is, is imminent. Now there's been some close calls that he has had in the past, but, but right now, right around the corner, he is about to truly face his end. He is in prison, he is facing execution, and so he takes pen and he writes his final words. And he writes them, not surprisingly, to, to a son in the faith by the name of Timothy. And his final words describe how that the good news is the answer for living and for dying well. I want you to open up your Bibles, if you would. I want you to find 2 Timothy. It's the letter of 2 Timothy. It's there uh, near the end of your, of your New Testament. And let's read together in chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in, in verse 6. Paul says, I am ready. I am ready to be poured out like a drink offering. I'm ready to be poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. He writes, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Here's what I want us to do just for a few minutes this morning. I just want us to kind of go phrase by phrase in this particular passage. And if you like to to underline and mark things in your Bible, you're going to have the opportunity to do that. If if you have a tablet and want to highlight, it'll be a, a time for you to do that as well. First thing I want you to look at is right there in verse 6, right at the very beginning. He says, look, I am, I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And underline that, drink offering there in your Bible. Because the imagery, the imagery doesn't mean a lot to us now. But for those who originally would have received this letter, it would have been especially meaningful. When Paul says, I've been poured out like a drink offering, it's this picture of total commitment. When the drink offering was made, it was wine in a chalice. That would be poured on top of hot coals on the altar. And as it evaporated, there would be this smoke that would rise and there would be this sweet aroma, this sweet smelling fragrance. And Paul says, that's my life. Paul says, I have poured out my life on the altar of God. I have poured it out on the altar of God and every last drop is there. And now I pray that it's a sweet smelling fragrance that's been given to God. He says, I poured it out. As I'm nearing the end of my time here on earth, I'm I'm not putting my hope, I'm not putting my confidence in what I've accomplished, the successes that I've had. I'm not worried about that. Instead, my success and my hope is in the fact that I have poured out everything and I have given myself completely over to God and poured it all out on his altar. You know, as a minister, I, I speak at a lot of funerals. And I've spoken in the past at funerals for people that I do not know. It happens occasionally. I never had a chance to meet the individual who had died, but because of a family friend, because of some type of an acquaintance, maybe they 
they call and reach out to me. They didn't have a church home, did not have a, a minister or a pastor or someone that they wanted to, uh, to use at this time. And so I get the phone call. And it's always brought a challenge because you're trying to memorialize a person's life, but you really don't know anything about them. So I'll go to the funeral home or I'll go to the family's home and I'll begin to ask questions. And I'll say, can you help me get to know this person a little bit? Tell me some memories that you have about your dad. Tell me, tell me something that, that your brother really enjoyed. Tell me something about your mom that you're never going to forget. What did they care about? What were they about? And it's a very telling moment. Sometimes, and in fact, more often than not, you hear things like, well, they love to cheer for, and I'll hear about their favorite team. She loved to read all kinds of novels. She was into politics. He loved to play golf. He spent a lot of time at work and was very successful in what he did. You hear things like that. As people talk about the different events and the different milestones that people achieved in their life. You hear things like, well, she was just into spending time with her friends. She loved to go shopping. He loved to watch ESPN. And you just never know what it is that you're going to hear. And all these things are, they're all good and fine. And I always enjoy hearing about what made another individual happy and the different hobbies that they were a part of. But I'm always hoping for a little more. And so I wait and I, I just wonder, is there anything that's going to be said about someone's faith? And oftentimes I walk out of the room and I, I ask myself a question. And I ask myself a question like, what altar am I pouring my life onto? If the minister were to come to my family's door, by the way, who preaches the funeral of the preacher? When my family is asked, what was your dad about? Well, what did your husband value? Well, what was important to Chris? Well, what's the answer going to be? What altar am I pouring my life onto? Paul says, I poured it all out. The next phrase in that passage helps us understand Paul's view of his pending death. And here's what it says. The time for my departure is near. And departure simply means literally to set sail. Now I want you to picture that. As Paul is writing, knowing that his death is imminent. Knowing that, that his life, his time is short. And he writes and says, you know what? I'm just getting ready to set sail. He perceived his death as leaving one port for a for another, leaving one port for a wonderful vacation, for his true home, his true destination. So for him, it wasn't that he was facing an execution. It was that he was getting ready to leave, longing, longing for that, longing for that place that he had prepared his life for. We mentioned earlier today how that there are many of our family who are, who are gone because it's fall break. And I've heard from a lot of different families and heard from students who said, boy, they've been planning this. They've been looking forward and couldn't wait. And they needed this break. And in school, and the stresses had just been building up. And they couldn't wait to be able to get away. And Paul says, I'm setting sail. I'm setting sail. My, my, my eternal fall break is finally here. And he perceived it as this beautiful and wonderful thing. 
See, in Paul's mind, because of the good news, he didn't have to fear death. And it's the same for us. Death is not something that is going to be avoided. It's something that is going to be anticipated. It's something that Paul says you look forward to and you, you plan for and you anticipate. And you can kind of catch the tension that he has in his life when he wrote to another group of Christians. It's recorded in the letter to the Philippians, chapter 1 and verses 21 through 24. Listen to what he says here. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He says, if I go on living in the body... This is just going to mean more fruitful labor for me. He goes, yep, what will I choose? I, I don't know because I am torn between the two. He says, I am torn between wanting to live and wanting to die. Now, now he doesn't have this, he, he doesn't have this fatalistic view of life. That's not it at all. But that he understands that to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. And so he says, I, I desire to depart. And there's that word again. He says, I want to set sail. And I want to be with Christ because that's what I really long for. He says it's, it's better by far. But it's far more necessary right now for you, those Christians that he remain in the body, he says. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, he told the Corinthians. You see, Paul knew what awaited him. And because he knew what he was waiting for, because he knew what was coming, he, he pictured his death as being this departure where he would just set sail. Now look at the next phrase in verse 7. He, he uses this imagery where he says, now look, I have, fought, I have fought this good fight. If you want to underline a word, go ahead and underline that word fight. It's where we get our word agonizing. Agony. I mean, Paul had gone through some very difficult struggles. And he was not naive to the pain and the suffering that was in the world. He knew, you know what? There's bad news out there. There's stuff that just breaks your heart. And there are things that break your spirit. He wasn't naive. But instead he understood that it was a battle that he had to fight. And, and he had gone through a lot. He had experienced all kinds of hardships in life. And he could understand he could understand what his original audience, what they had been going through. And he even has some similarities with, with us. He had had a physical challenge. He had struggled with sin. But his hope was not in the things of this world. And that's why there's good news. That's why there's good news to be able to share. Because our hope is not only in the things of this world. The things that are here one minute and gone the next. Instead, hope. Hope is on the things that are come. Hope in his heart were set on the things that were above. And, and, and so he says, look, I have this hope within me. I have this joy. I have this confidence. And it's all because of the good news. And it has nothing to do with the things that I'm looking at and the things that I am seeing right here and right now. He says, as long as I am here and as long as I am in this body, I am going to reap fruit because God is going to work through me. But when my time here comes, I'm going to set sail and I am going to reap the rewards of my hope. And that's good news. He sees it kind of like crossing a finish line. And in fact, that's the picture that he goes to in his next statement. He says, I have finished the race. He sees the end quickly approaching and he knows that 
he knows that because of the good news, that he is going to be able to finish strong. He's going to be able to, to, to finish strong. Listen to what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. You know, we feel like giving up and we, we, we feel like just throwing our hands up and saying we don't want to live this way anymore. He goes, but for our, he says, our light and momentary troubles, all the pain and all the suffering in the world, all the bad news, he says, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. There's no comparison. He says, so we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on things that are unseen. And because my eyes are fixed on those things that are unseen, he says, you know what? I have finished my race and I am finishing strong. Now I was reading, I was reading this week how that whenever a runner runs a long way, they experience something that is called the pleasure stage. And somehow when you read about people running, you feel like you have done something yourself. You do. You feel like you've done something good. And so I kept reading. And I was reading about this pleasure stage. And it's that time where the adrenaline is pumping and, and, and your blood is flowing and your lungs are clear. And it's that time when the sun is rising and the birds are chirping and the, the fish are swimming and, and daddy's rich and mama's pretty. And, and man, you were just in the groove. Everything just feels like it's going your way. And maybe that's where you are right now in your life. And it doesn't feel like that much of a struggle. Everything's going pretty well. But as I was reading, I also found out there is this thing called the painful stage. And that's usually where I run. And runners sometimes call this the hitting the wall stage. It's where your legs just feel so heavy and your lungs are burning and your sides ache. And in that moment, you are no longer concerned about winning the race. All you want to do is finish. Just get me to the finish line. Get me to the place where I can stop. Somebody tell me that I don't have to do this any longer. And Paul says, I have finished the race. I finished. I'm there. The Spirit has told me that I don't have to endure this anymore. I don't have to deal with this heartache. I don't have to deal with this pain. It's over. Notice he doesn't say he won the race. I think that's important for us to understand. He doesn't say I won the race. He says I have finished the race. Because you know what? He knows he hasn't run perfectly. But he can see that he's going to make it to the end. There have been times where he has been tripped up along the way and he has stumbled at different times. But he is going to finish strong. He says, I've finished. I've finished the race. And then at the end, he closes out by saying these words in verse 8. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. He speaks of this reward and then he says, and it's not just for me. It's not just for me, but it's for you. It's for you, and it's for you, and it's for everybody, everybody who longs for the appearing of Christ. And here's what I want you to catch as we finish up. For, for Paul, he is celebrating before his death. He is facing execution, but for him, the party has already begun. You see, though he had some struggles left here on earth, he knew 
that his residence was going to be in heaven. So you don't have to wait until you die. Because of the good news, we can celebrate now. We get to celebrate now about what is going to come and what is going to happen. And so this world and this life ends. And so the cancer wins. And so the heart stops working and the blood stops pumping. And so there was the accident. And so everything just comes crashing down around us. There is still celebration that takes place even before the moment. All because of the good news of Jesus Christ. The party begins. And guys, Christians should be the best party people. Now you don't hear that a lot in church, right? Some of you grew up hearing, don't go to parties. Don't be the party person, right? Some of you, remember, you you heard that. Flee fornication because it might lead to dancing. You heard that, right? Some of you will get that on the way home and you are just going to die laughing. I mean, you are just, you're going you're gonna to crack up, right? <laughs> Guys, Christians should be the best celebrators because Christians die better than anybody. Because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, Christians die better than anyone. Paul would write, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, where is your sting? Christians died better than anyone because the sting of death was was felt fully on the cross. Christians are able to die better than anyone because death was robbed of its victory when Jesus died and rose again. And the Bible says that because he died and because he rose, we too will rise again. Christians die better than anyone because our hope is in Jesus Christ. He is our Savior who has conquered death and now he offers those who are his followers, the very same opportunity. And so we celebrate now and we're like, woo! Now we don't have a fatalistic view either. It's not that we go out courting death. It's not that we go out trying to look for ways to to shorten our life. Now I know some of you did that around 17, 18, 19 years old, right? And, And your grandmother told you, I just don't know what it is you're trying to do. That's not what this is about, but it's about understanding that the life that we live now does not stop once we go into the grave. That we are eternal souls and just temporary bodies and that we have the opportunity to be present with the Lord. And so earlier in his life, Paul would write to a group of Christians and he would say, So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Now, he writes this in the context of the fact that there were some Christians who were questioning what was going to happen after they died. Was there actually going to be this thing called a resurrection? And to answer the question, Paul would write to him and say, I need to remind you guys of the good news. He says, I need to remind you guys of the gospel. Because you have this question as about what's going to happen. You're concerned about death. You're concerned about the finality of it all. And he says, look, if Christ wasn't raised, then there was no hope. He says, but... If Christ was raised, then you too will be raised. And the good news is 
that just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. And so we celebrate. And we celebrate. And we celebrate. So I got to thinking, what have I heard a lot before it? At funerals. And I thought about three different people. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. I thought about Aaron Fuller. Aaron died in his mid-50s. He was a very successful man. In fact, at his visitation and during his funeral, that's all you really heard anyone talk about. How successful that he was and all the stories were about his, his business ventures and his investments and how it appeared that he was just a genius. He gave his entire life to his career and every last drop was poured out in an effort to climb the ladder of success. I thought about Mary Rogers. Mary died as an elderly woman. She loved her husband, she loved her three kids, she loved her five grandkids. And in many ways, her family was her life. At her visitation, that's what you heard everyone talking about. She just seemed like a very wonderful lady. The family would go around and describe her as a kind mother, a kind wife, a, a kind grandmother. And you're just waiting, just for a little bit more, waiting for that next story. Something about her relationship with God but she gave everything she had to her family. She poured herself into them and she gave them the last drop. And there was Mark Dawson. Mark loved sports. So in his funeral, everyone talked about his love for sports. I mean, that's, that's, all, they, that's all they talked about. His sport team was recognized in the color of the flowers and the color of his casket. On the weekends, he loved to sit in front of the TV and, and watch his sports package. While his kids were out playing in the yard, he, he just loved sports and he, he loved to talk about it and he loved to engage in it. It was what he was most passionate about. It was more than a hobby for him, it was his life and, and he poured himself out on that altar. So what about you? What are you pouring your life into? What are you pouring your life onto? What altar do you wake up and sacrifice on? What are you giving yourself to day in and day out? Maybe for you it's your career. Maybe it's, maybe it's your family. Maybe it is sports. Not, not bad things. Not evil things. But the reason that Paul was able to leave boldly out of this world is because he had poured himself onto the altar before God and he had given over to God every last drop. He had lived well. He had lived well and now it was time for him to die well because his faith was firmly in the good news of Jesus Christ. And he said, I will give myself over to that completely. You know, each of us die a little each day. 
Each of us die a little bit each hour. Each of us die a little bit each second. Why not live out your remaining time with passion and with love and joy? And when the time comes for you to set sail, whether it be after you've lived to a ripe old age or, or, or whether it be at a time when you still have a lot of living ahead, set sail boldly, having poured your life upon God's altar, knowing that because of the good news of Jesus Christ, you have nothing to regret and nothing to fear. Father, I thank you so much for life. I thank you for the way in which we are able to enjoy family, for the way in which you have equipped us to, to have memory after memory after memory, for, for the way in which you, you give us time to, to enjoy and to relax and things that we focus on that bring us so much happiness and oftentimes peace. Father, I pray today that as followers of your son, that we would learn what it means to pour out. That because he poured out himself completely on the cross, Father, that we would pour ourselves out upon your altar. And that our life would not be lived for the temporary things that are here on this earth, but that our life would be lived for you. For the things that are unseen. That we would put our hope firmly in your hands. That, Father, that we would live a life of celebration. Knowing that, that this is just a, a brief time. And knowing, Father, that eternity awaits. And knowing, Father, that the good news means that we will continue the celebration around your throne. Father, we don't want to just go a lap ahead. Father, we want to set sail. And we want to have our final destination to be with you. Will you help us to live well? And Father, will you help us to die well? Celebrating the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the name of the good news of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I appreciate so much your kindness of listening to a lesson that deals with a subject that nobody likes to talk about. And I appreciate the way in which you filled in the blanks on your glory, praise, and honor, and, and for the way that you, that you wrote down different, uh, different notes. And, and, and for some of you, this particular discussion, it is meaningful because, well, you see things from a different context. And... And you understand perhaps that your days are short. For others, you, this lesson seems like something that has no application, maybe at all for you. It's a message that is meant to remind us that we all face a, a similar destination. We're all going to experience the same thing no matter when. And it's a lesson that hopefully causes you not to have to leave filled with anxiety and, and worry, but understand that the idea of death is just a transition from, from one stage of, of life into another. And that because of the good news of Jesus Christ, that death is something that causes us to set sail and to be present with the Lord.
Maybe you'd like to experience that at a, at a more fuller level. Because you've never followed Jesus. You don't know what it means to, to think about death from a, the perspective of a follower of Jesus Christ. I would love to talk to you about that. I'll be out in the lobby uh, here a little bit later if you'd like to uh, just stop by and ask some questions about living for Jesus and, and dying in the Lord. And, and maybe you've come here today and, and maybe you've already been reading about the story of Jesus. And, and maybe already some, some friend or family member perhaps has sat down with you and said, you know what? You really need to pour yourself on the altar of God today. You need to give yourself over to God. And and maybe the first step of that surrender is for you to acknowledge your faith in Jesus and be baptized into Christ. We want to give you that opportunity today. Live well, die well, and share the good news. Let's stand and give God praise.